go ahead and turn in your books to lesson three. And if you notice, lesson three is let me let me go through this this thing is oh I think you have to, have to turn it on. That has a few things at the start. Okay, lesson three. This is the Old Testament. And listen, I'm going to tell you this. I don't mean you don't write everything down, but tonight I'm going to give you a lot of information. A lot. It's, it's kind of exciting when you think about what all is there. And so I'm going to do some of the writing. I'll put some things up on the board. I'll try to write the best I can. There'll be things on the slides. But this is, this is a lot of information. So it should be a lot of fun. So as we continue in our study of the 2-2, the we're, we're seeing that God makes himself known. And, and uh, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, and let me just say this. The first quiz that we gave you, I did not go over the quiz like I used to do. I used to take the quiz and go over it, go every question. Well, I hate to say this, I didn't do that by the very first quiz, and they're the worst grades I've ever had, in, ever, in any class. I mean, we got people making 40 and 50 and 60 and 37, and, and, and I, you know, I think that uh, I just didn't go over it well enough. And if you notice last time, we did go over the quiz. And after the, at the end of the lesson this time, we'll go over the quiz again so that you can make sure you know what you need to know because that's I, I want you to know it all, okay? So anyway, we're looking at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is often overlooked, and, and it's unread. In fact, we've even got some prominent pastors in the United States saying to people that you don't need the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is irrelevant to Christians, that they ought to spend their time on the letters especially because that's what's for us. I think that's wrong, and I think the Bible teaches some other things about it. So let's think about the Old Old Testament for a second. The central focus of the Old Testament, as we know, is the Redeemer, the promise, the seed of woman. You've seen me draw this up many times, that there's the cross of Jesus Christ, and here's the Old Testament, and the whole Old Testament beginning back at Genesis 3.15. The Old Testament is looking forward to this coming Messiah, to the Savior, to the Savior of the world. And we, you remember, it was going to be the seed of woman, and the seed of Abraham, and the son of David, and then the son of Mary, and then the Lamb of God. And we talked about that even in the very first lesson and so we can see all that and so think about this the the old testament begins with creation and takes you through the fall of man and then the choosing of this man named abraham and from abraham comes isaac and isaac comes jacob and jacob comes uh, you know joseph and judah and, and then you have this the rest of the old testament is basically the story of these jewish people and the fact that the messiah is going to come through them and prophecies and all these kind of things so when people start thinking about old testament i mean let's face it you look at the bible and you go this is really a big book. I mean, it really is. And I mean, even I got big writing, but this is a big book and there's a lot of things in there. And people say things like, how in the world can you know the Bible? And the truth is you can, you can, you know, as you study it, the, and the more you study it and the more you begin to put it together, things begin to make sense. And the Bible is logical. The Bible fits together. The things that were promises in the Old Testament come true in the New Testament. Uh, we can see the, all of the promises about Messiah. Uh, all of those things, they, they're, they're amazing. And so we're going to look at tonight the Old Testament. And it's big. I mean, it's a lot of books. And you think, wow, how, how are we going to know all this? Well, there's some things that you'll never remember at all. There'll be some things that'll be easy, and you'll go, oh, I remember that, and we'll put it together. Let's think about, just for a second, the, the Jewish Old Testament was three parts. What were the three parts? The law, the writings of the prophets. It was the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim. That's how they looked at it. And if you take those letters, it's... It's, it's Tanakh, and that was the word, Tanakh, T-N-K, basically Hebrew, and they would say Tanakh, and that's the... So if you were actually talking with a Jewish person, and I've sometimes met with Jewish persons, and I don't ever say Old Testament, just say the Tanakh, or the Scriptures, 
or the writings. Because if you say Old Testament, they say, I don't think there's any Old Testament because I don't think there's any New Testament. You know, so you want to always go with that. When we think about our Old Testament, think about it, that the Old Testament is divided into four sections. Let's see what they are. They're the law of the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means five, the idea of the first five books. And then there's the history section, which we talked about many times. And then there's poetry, the writings, wisdom, literature, all of that. And then the last one is the prophets. And we always say major and minor prophets. Now, I don't have I don't have a book. I, I didn't bring a book. But if you look at the end, let me just walk closer this way, and look at the end of this lesson. Okay, the end of this lesson. There are all kind of handouts. There's handouts on the overview of each of the books of the Old Testament, and the literature part, the history part, the law part. It even shows you the difference between the Hebrew Bible, the Protestant Bible, and the Catholic Bible. And then there's a thing that we're going to talk about right at the end. It's called What Happened Between the Testaments. That's probably one of my favorite things that is in this whole study. I'm, I'm sorry. That, but I think it's my favorite thing that I've put in the, uh, just as a handout, and I'll tell you more about it then. So you don't need to look at those now, but I've given you all kind of information on the books of the Bible, how they fit together, the themes, the titles, who wrote them, those kind of things. So, but we're going to go through some of that tonight. I just want you to see that it, you can know... You can know enough to be able to talk to people and say, here's what the Old Testament is about. Here's how it fits together. So let's start with the law, okay? Let's start with the, the, the first thing. And here's when you, you, when you look at the, the law, you start for, first with the book of Genesis. And I want to write this up for you. If you remember, the book of Genesis divides into two big sections. Chapters 1 through 11, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, give you four great events Four great events, creation, fall, flood, and the, I call it the division. So think about this. In the first 11 chapters, you have the creation of man, you have the fall of man, you have the flood, which wipes everything out, and then you have the division. That's Genesis 1 through 11. It covers a long time period. We don't know how far back it goes. It used to be that people would say that... Uh, the, the creation happened at about 4,000 years before Christ. I think it's probably more than that. I think it's probably seven to 8,000 years before Christ. That's what I actually think. I don't think it's millions of years, of course. And I also think that the world was created in six days. And, God, and I think they were literal days. But we could talk about that more at a different, a different time. But anyway, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and if you want to be able to say, how do I remember what Genesis is about? Genesis 1 through 11, four things. Creation, fall, flood, scattering, division. The last part of the book, chapter 12 through 50, is the patriarchs. And look who that is, four people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So if you said, I want to know the book of Genesis... The book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, four things, creation, fall, flood, and division. And then the last of the book, 12 through 50, the big part, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You have the book of Genesis right there. If somebody said, the book of Genesis is 50 chapters, it's huge. And you say, yeah, first 11 chapters, four things. And the next chapter is four people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so if you can understand that and you can get that together, that's, that's the first book of the Bible right there, and that's it in a quick synopsis. The next book is book of Exodus. And let me just tell you, when you think of Exodus, that's got a Greek name, by the way. The Hebrew Bible is named like our Bible. The Hebrew Bible, each book begins with the first line of the book. So the book of Genesis actually, in Hebrew is in the beginning. That's how it starts. They don't call it Genesis. They call it in the beginning. The book, the second book, we call it Exodus. It comes from ek adas, 
Adas is, is Greek for way, and ek is out of. So the way out is Exodus, because they're coming out of Egypt. And when you think of the book of Exodus, all you have to do, okay, Genesis, four great events, four great people. Then Exodus is, Exodus means coming out. So the book of Exodus is the nation of Israel being in captivity in, in Egypt, and Moses leads them out. And that's, of course, the famous, you know, crossing the Red Sea and, and the water coming back on them, and they going into, you know, the desert and all of that. And, and so uh, they actually begin, even in Exodus, they get the law. They go to Mount Sinai, and they get the law. So that's the book. So you already, you already got two books. And you already got them down just like that, right? Because in Genesis, four great people and four great events. In Exodus, the coming out. What's the next book? Leviticus. And when you think of Leviticus, you think of Levi. And who was Levi? That's the tribe of Levi had the priests. So when you think of Leviticus, after they came out, now think about the flow. There's the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division. Then God picks one man, Abram. And through Abraham comes Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and that's the nation. And then the nation goes into captivity, so they come out of captivity. That's Exodus. Exodus. Moses leads them out. After Moses leads them out, they go to the mountain, and they get the law. And under the law, they have the priesthood. And they set aside the tribe of Levi, which is Aaron, and the priest. And so that's all you have to remember. If you said, what is the book of Leviticus about? It's about when they get the law when they set the priest out, when they put together the sacrifices. That, that's all it is. So you've got the first three books of the Bible and you've got it already without even thinking about it. What's the fourth book? Numbers. Now, Numbers is where, the, and if just think about this, Numbers mean you count people. You count the numbers, and it was that they, they counted the people, and they wandered in the wilderness. This is where they were supposed to go. By the way, they left Mount Sinai, and they went to Kadesh Barnea, which is at the southern part of Israel. How many days did it take to go from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea? Eleven days. At the eleven-day mark, they stood there. They got ready to go into the land. And what did the people say? Let's send some spies. They spent ten, 12 spies in. Ten came back said, we can't go. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, we can go. They decided, they, they got all afraid and couldn't go. And God said, okay, you're going to wander around basically 30 half, 38 and a half years, 40 years total in the wilderness. That's the wandering in the wilderness. That's what the book of Numbers is about. One of the most famous stories. Let me throw this one out. One of the most famous stories, which is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, is in the book of Numbers chapter 21. They were wandering. They were grinding. They were mad about the food. They were mad about the water. They, and so God let snakes bite them. And they began to bite the people. And they were dying. And they came to Moses. And they said, well, t do something. Tell God these snakes are biting us. And so God said, take a brass, piece of brass, make it look like a snake, put it up on a pole, and put it up in the camp. Anytime a person gets bit by a snake, all they have to do is look there, and they won't die. And Jesus used that and said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever looks to him, whoever believes in him, has eternal life. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He used the story from Numbers 21. So that's a great book. And so you got the, you got the books. Genesis, four great events and four great people. Exodus coming out. Leviticus getting the law. Numbers didn't go into the land, wandering around. What's the next one? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second law. And so as they got ready to go in the promised land, Moses taught 
the, what he did basically told them, we're adding to the law because we're fixing to go into the land and you've got to know how to live in the land. And they talked about the sacrifices and all that. And, and by the way, that is the first five books. You got, the, you got it right there. And I guarantee you that if you had to memorize it and remember it right now, you could. Because what's Genesis, the first 11 verse, verse 11 chapters? It's four great events. What are they? The creation and the fall and the flood and the division. And then there's four great people. Who are they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then what's the next book? Exodus. It's what? Coming out. What's Leviticus? Getting the law. What's Numbers? Wandering around. What's Deuteronomy? They get a second law right before they go into the land. You already know the first five books, right? You got it. It's not that hard. It does help that it is history, <laughs> and, and it flows together. Okay, so that's the law. All right, what's the next section after the law? History. So let's talk about history. And after the death of Moses, they got ready to go into the land. And so what's the next book? Who, who led them into the land? Joshua. There it is. And Joshua, they take the promised land. And what's the famous song? Joshua fought the battle of... Jericho. That, if you want to start remembering things, they, they fought the battle. They crossed over. Uh, priests stepped their foot in the, in the Jordan River and it stopped. They crossed over. They fought the battle. They walked around Jericho, shouted. The walls fell down. They had great victory. And the story of Joshua is them conquering the land that, promised, that God promised them. That's all. That's all. That's what the book is about. There's so much there. Now, what happened after they, after they Got the land, and they divided it up among all the tribes. Well, then we got the books of Judge, Judges and Ruth, and what's sad is, after Joshua died, then there were some people who did well, and then after they died, they actually forgot the good truths, and they turned away from God. And God let, the, they had sin and judgment, and they would cry out, and God would raise up a judge, which is actually a, a defeater, a victory guy, and they would have victory. And that's what the book of Judges is. And there's a cycle of 13 different judges in the book of Judges. They would do good, turn away from God. Enemy would conquer them. They'd cry out to God. He would raise up a judge. They'd have victory. Then they'd be doing good. Then they'd turn away from God. And it goes on and on. That's what the book of Judges is all about. The book of Judges says that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what? What was right in their own eyes. At the same time of the book of Judges is the, the story of Ruth. And Ruth, uh, the, the uh, family leaves and goes to Moab, and uh, Naomi is there, and her, her husband dies, her two sons die. They married two Moabite girls. They come back, only one comes back. That's Ruth. And the story of Ruth is the story of the kinsman redeemer. The story of Ruth shows us the picture of Jesus Christ. And Ruth is the great-grandmother of who? King David. Do you understand that? King David's great-grandmother was not Jewish. She was a Moabite. And so the book Bible says, look, God takes everybody, and he uses them all. And so that's Joshua and Judges. And then after Joshua and Judges, then come these books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. They all fit together. They're history. They get the final judge. They get the kings uh, of north and, and in the captivity. If you remember, let me just remind you of something, that the first king of Israel was who? So second king was who? David. Third king was? And after Solomon's death, the nation divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was called Israel. And the southern kingdom was called Judah. 
And they, they, they never had a believing king. They had some believing kings. And what happens is the story of First and Second Samuel, First Samuel is basically about Samuel and Saul, and Second Samuel is about David, and First Kings is about uh, uh, Solomon, and then the rest of the kings and the chronicles, they all go back and give you the history of all these. And so we get the kings, and the nation went into captivity, 722, they went into the Assyrians, and 605, they went to the Babylonians, Northern Empire, First the Southern Empire, Second, all of these things, and the divisions, and, and this is all in the history part of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. In the Hebrew Bible, they put them all together. First uh, and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings all went together, and that's why they don't have the same number of books, but it's exactly the same books. So that's how everything fits together there. Now, so we've got. After Moses comes Joshua, and after Joshua comes the judges and Ruth, and after that comes the Samuel and the kings and all of this and the divisions. And listen, if you had to remember it, all you had to do is this. After Solomon, the nation divided. Northern kingdom never had a good king, and they went into captivity. Southern kingdom had good kings, and they went into captivity. Why did they go into captivity? Huh? They didn't keep the Sabbath. They failed to obey the Bible. Their sacrifices, when they did sacrifice, they, they sacrificed them with the wrong motives. We'll talk more about that sometime. And all of these things. And God allowed His people, He allowed His people to be, go into captivity. And so that's then. Now, the, after that, after the captivity, they were in captivity for how many years? Do y'all know? So, say it? Seventy years, exactly. And what's amazing, they went there were three deportations, six oh five BC, five ninety eight BC, and five eighty five BC. And there were three coming back, and they each one of those were seventy years after those other three. Whenever God says something like it'll be 70 years, it's going to be exactly 70 years. You can just write it down. And so when they came back, Ezra came back, and what did he do? He rebuilt the temple. That's what the book of Ezra is about. They rebuilt the temple. The book of Nehemiah, what did they do in Nehemiah? Anybody remember? They rebuilt the walls of the city because they were broken down. And finally, the book of Esther is the story of the Jewish people who did not come back, and they stayed in Persia. And, of course, we know the story there that they were going to kill all the Jewish people, and so they cast lots to decide when the Jewish people would be killed. And, of course, Esther went into king to the king and basically saved all their lives. And so uh, on that particular feast called the Feast of Lots, which is Purim, the Jews had a great victory. And uh, so from that point on, the Jews... And listen, every, every year, the Jews to this day, they, they celebrate Purim. And they wear masks, and they wear good clothes. It's almost like a Halloween, and they give gifts to each other because they remember that God delivered them from an enemy that was going to wipe them out. And that's the book of, of Esther. So there's, that's, and basically, you, you now have the Old Testament, almost, let me just tell you, you have the Old Testament because you have the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, getting them all the way up, and then you have them coming into the land, taking the land, the kings, and then the divisions, and then you have them coming back and rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls, and, and what are the ladies You've got it. That's the Old Testament right there. Old Testament it, it actually ends with chronicles uh, numerically. And so there you have it. So you got the Old Testament, right? 
Now, there's some more things in there, right? Because what's, what's next after, after that part? Is the what? The writings. Okay, so let's talk about the writings. And, and you're going you're gonna to love the writings. Because when you think about the writings, first of all, it's sometimes known as wisdom literature. It's also known as poetry, those kind of things. Let's talk about it. The first one is the book of Job. And uh, when you think about Job, let me ask you a question. When you, think, when you hear the book of Job, what do you think of? Huh? Suffering, yeah. What else? Anything else? I've had people uh, say, the book of Job tells us why we suffer. It does not. The book of Job actually tells, shows us how we should respond in suffering. That's what it's about. Um, you, if you remember that Job was very rich, he had all kind of kids, he had all kind of cattle, he had all kind of land, he, had, he was one of the richest men. His daughters, it says, were the prettiest in all the lands and everything. And Satan, basically, this is a weird thing, but Satan went before God and basically challenged God and said, the only reason Job loves you is because you've blessed him. And God says, I'll, I'll let you touch his life. You can't kill him, but I'll let you touch his life. And he lost everything. Everything but his wife, and he probably wished he'd lost her because the first thing she said to him is, won't you just curse God and die? And he said, should we accept only good from the Lord and not bad? And Job is an amazing man because instead of cursing God, instead of being mad at God, so to speak, he tried to trust God. Now, he didn't understand it. And three friends came. I love this because if you read it, you know, you start seeing this Eastern lit, these Eastern people. They come, three of his friends, and they see him, and he looks horrible because he's got disease, boils, his body is, oh, it's just horrible. And they come up, and they see him, and they sit at a distance for seven days and never say a word. Now, you know, what we would do, we'd be there immediately, we'd write two or three things, give them a subscription, you know, tell, you know say this, you know, we'd tell them what to do and all this stuff. But they didn't. And what happened is they came to him to talk to him, and he says, oh, I wish I'd never been born, this is really bad. And then these friends say, well, obviously your sinning is the reason that this happened. And he said, no, I didn't sin. The first guy says, yeah, you, you sinned badly or else you wouldn't have these things happen to you. He said, I didn't sin. The second friend comes, says exactly the same thing. Third friend comes, says the same thing. There's a cycle about three different times and every time they tell him how bad he is and every time he says, I'm not bad. I haven't done anything wrong. This is happening to me not because of my sin and they say it's because of sin. And the truth is this, when something happens to somebody, what's a lot of people's first thought? wonder what they've done what wrong wonder why these bad things are happening to them and of course job defends himself all the time and he says things like if i could only talk to god if god would only show up he said i need a mediator i need somebody to go in between me and god i need all that and these are all foreshadows he actually says something like he says i know this that no matter what happens one of these days in my flesh I'm going to see God. Meaning, he knew he was going to die, but he was going to be raised from the dead. He knew that there was resurrection. A lot of people say people in the Old Testament didn't know about resurrection. Sure, they knew about resurrection. Well, God shows up in the book of Job. And instead of saying, Job, you did real good, he said, who are you to question me? And he looked at those three friends. I imagine they were going, you know, we didn't do anything. But, uh, man... God basically says to Job, where were you when I made everything? Where were you when I worked everything out? Where were you when I did everything? And Job finally says, I, I'm, I'm nothing. I repent in dust and ashes. I, I realize that you're right no matter what you do. And God said, you are. You did great. And he said, you three guys, if it wasn't for him, you'd all be dead. I'm going to let him offer a sacrifice for y'all and let you still live. 
Whew. So it, it's an amazing book. And it does, it, it basically, how to respond in suffering, suffering in the sovereignty of God. Uh, I used to think, oh, I don't want to read Job. It's 40-something chapters, and it seems so long. But I've, I've been reading it some, and uh, when you start reading it, all of a sudden you see that these are people talking back and forth about God. And one, the three friends all say that God doesn't have anything to do with you because you're a sinner and you need to get your act together. And if you had your act together, you all these things wouldn't be happening to you. And they say it over and over. And Job keeps saying, I ain't done it. It's a great book. It, it's powerful. Um, it's not an uplifting book. Uh, let's face it. Okay. How about the second book of the Psalms? Oh, my gosh. I don't know about you, but I read. What I do, I have this little reading program. And I read three Psalms every day. And it takes me like 50 days because there's 150 of them. So every 50 days, I read the book of Psalms, basically. And they're songs. David, we think, wrote between 72 and 75 of them. We're not sure uh, all exactly what he wrote, but uh, they're, they're basically worship things. And they're really amazing that when you study that and you read it, and the great songs, people have taken, of course, some of the Psalms, and they put them into, you know, songs and things nowadays. But uh, some of the songs, uh, the... the um, Psalms, there's, there's five or six different kinds of psalms. There's called exalt psalms, lament psalms, imprecatory psalms. And, and some of the psalms are sad. Some of the psalms are saying, get the enemies. Some of the psalms are saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, so it's, sometimes it's just according to how you feel when you read it. I don't know about you, but when I read the psalms, sometimes whatever I'm reading is exactly the way I feel. It's like, I say, how did you know? That today when I read that, that's exactly the psalm I needed to read. So let me just tell you, if you want to do something fun, and I've got another thing I'll show you in just a second, but just just sit down and read three psalms a day. Keep a little, I have a little marker, and I'll go, I'll go like one, two, three, and then I'll put a little thing say I'm number four. So next, the next day it's five, six, and seven. The next day it's eight, nine, and ten. Now when I get to Psalm 119, I do a little bit different there because it's 176 verses. But anyway, but it, it works great. And so about every 50 days, I read the whole book of Psalms. And oh, they're such, they're, it's so fun. There's so much there. Okay, then what do you, what's that to that? Proverbs. Okay, so in this wizard, here's Proverbs, and Proverbs is wisdom literature. And when you read the Proverbs, and there's 31 of them, and if you, and here's what I do: not only do I read three Psalms every day, which gives me through the Book of Psalms in 50 days, I read the proverb of the day, meaning that today is what day? What's the date? The 16th. I read 16, Proverbs 16 today. Tomorrow will be 17. And, and even if you skip a day, it doesn't make any difference when you wake up. And if it's the 20th, read the 20th pro, uh, proverb. And what's great is every month you're reading the wisdom literature. And before long, it begins to get in your brain. And it'll say, the wise man does this, but the foolish man does this. And you begin to say, I, I want to be wise. Uh, you know, and, and you start reading, and there's all, there's all these things. And so this is some, uh, maybe a tip. It, uh, read three Proverbs, a day, read, uh, three Psalms a day, and one proverb every day, just based, and you'll get through wisdom literature. Uh, the Proverbs, you'll get through them every month, and the wisdom, the uh, Psalms, you'll get through them every 50 days. And it is amazing because you're singing the songs, you're reading the songs, you're reading what David wrote, somebody else wrote, Asaph wrote, these guys. And then the, pro the, the uh, Proverbs is you're getting wisdom literature. And I mean, it, it's wisdom. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, hey, will you co-sign on a note for me? 
What's the answer? No. Why? Because the Proverbs said, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, and so it, it says, the Proverbs say that in many counselors there is wisdom. It's okay to say, hey, look, i got a decision to make. I want three or four of you guys. What do you all think? You know, that, there's not, I mean, wisdom literature is powerful. So we've got Job and Psalms and Proverbs. And then what's next? Oh, my, Ecclesiastes. Uh, now, that book has got to be the most depressing book that you'll ever read in your life. And you think, how could God put a depressing book in there? Because you have to grasp what it's saying. Solomon wrote the book. He wrote the book most likely toward the end of his life. If you remember, Solomon tried everything. In the book of, of Ecclesiastes, he talks about getting every plant, everything, every woman, every money, every horse, every, everything you could ever want. He said, I denied myself nothing because I thought somehow getting these possessions, getting these women, getting this land, getting these trees, knowing all the birds' names, knowing everything. He said, if I know all this, I'll be happy. And he says, it's meaningless. And the book says, any meaningless, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Anything under the sun is meaningless. And when he says under the sun, he's meaning in a fallen world, no matter what you have, it's meaningless. Now, with, with the Messiah and the Savior, that's the key. But he's saying that if you live life without God, under the sun, life is meaningless. He says things get broken, they won't get straight. He said, I see a good guy get cheated and a bad guy get away with it. I've seen this and this. And he says it's the same thing over and over. I've seen some guy <laughs> work real hard and, and <coughs> do all that and then die. And some, some bum comes along, takes all this stuff. He said, so it's meaningless under the sun, but with God. And so he ends up saying, the end of all things is this. Obey God and enjoy life. That's, just, that's what Ecclesiastes basically says. Obey God and enjoy life. And, and he's basically saying that, and he goes on to say, because we'll give an account. And so for all of us in this room, without God, we have meaningless lives. I mean, that's when people say to me, I don't believe in God. I say, so why are you here? You, you just happen to, you just happen to, to be born, you just, you're just some tissue that somehow formed and you're going to have 50, 60, 70 years and then when you die, it's as if you never existed. Why, do you, why are you here? What is the meaning of your life? Are you just a product of chance? And so if you leave God out, everything is meaningless. There's nothing there. But with God, and obey God. He says, obey God and enjoy life. And that's what we should do. There's so many, oh, there's so many good things. Even Ecclesiastes, it, there's a, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes gives you five principles on handling, on handling money. And they're amazing. I mean, and, you know, so sometimes go look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and look at the principles that he gives you on handling money. It is amazing. Okay, we got, we got one more, don't we? What is it? Oh, we might want to skip that one, huh? How many of y'all have read Song of Solomon? Everybody read Song of Solomon? I mean, the, 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 everybody knows what it's about, right? It's about King Solomon and one of his wives, the wives that he loved the most. Now, he had a thousand. He had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. So he had a thousand women. But he said this is the one he loved. We don't know who she was, but she, we think she was a queen. One, became one of the queens with him, or maybe his main queen. 
And a lot of people throughout history, because it is very sexual, it, it has stuff in there. It talks about loving and touching and everything else. And uh, some people have said, oh, you can't say that in a church. And so they've, they've said all throughout history that the, the Song of Solomon is the story of God's love for his church. Well, I, first of all, it was written long before the church, and so I don't see that. But I think it's really showing um, romantic love. I think it's showing love for man for a woman. I think it's showing Solomon's love for, for his wife. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but it starts off, that, you know, they're talking about how great they are, and then they have a fight, and, and he leaves, and she tries to find him and can't find him, and then when she finds him, they all come back together, and they're all happy. And I mean, that's, the book is an amazing book. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you read it, um, I tell you, the, the New Living Translation, now, I don't like it to study it, but it does a great job with the Song of Solomon. Does a great job with the Song of Solomon. So anyway, that that's wisdom literature. You got you got the Psalms and uh, we got uh, you know Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. I mean, there's just so much there in the Book of Job, of course. Any let's let's do this. Any questions about anything? Any questions about anything we've talked about so far? I'm just I'm doing a lot of talking. I'm trying to put it together for you so that you can see it. Because right now, if you just write down a little bit of things by everything we've talked about tonight, you have a big overview of the whole Old Testament. We're not through yet. We've still got the prophets to go to, and I'll show you some things there that'll help you put it together. But what about questions, comments, input on anything? Yeah, Kevin? I heard that Job was maybe one of the oldest books that maybe he was contemporary with Abraham. Exactly. I, I should have brought that out. Thanks for bringing it up. Most believe that if you know at the time of Abraham, the father at the time of Abraham, was the priest of the family. Well, Job is the priest of his family. He offers sacrifices for his kids. And so most people believe that Job probably lived at the same time of Abraham. So that's a really good point to bring that out. Because we always don't know when all these people lived. And we know, of course, we know when Solomon lived. He lived after David. Solomon lived in the 900s. And, and if you, the Proverbs, and David lived about a thousand years before Christ. We, uh, well, most likely not, unless he was some offspring that we don't know about. Uh, so, most likely, yeah, great point. Most likely, Job was not a Hebrew, was not Jewish. A lot of people, I think Kevin's done a great idea there, because when you think about the Bible, people always, you know, they, they, uh, they just don't grasp it, because you've got Gentiles... And then all of a sudden you've got the Jew, which is from Abraham on, and you've still got Gentiles. And then later you have the church. So you ended up with Gentiles, Jews, and the church. Three, three basically type people groups, so to speak. Church is made up of Jew and Gentile together in one body. But think of all the people who are believers that were Gentiles before there were any Jews. Or even after Jews. There were Gentiles who believed in the Messiah uh, at, and not they weren't Jewish, so good point. Any, were you going to say something else? Oh, okay, all right. Huh? Do what? Okay. I've exhausted my stuff too. Okay. All right. Yes. Oxen and everything that he has at the beginning, 
and it's doubled at the end, but when you count the amount of kids he had, he had seven sons, three daughters, but at the end he has seven sons and three daughters. Mm -hmm. Like you said, he's still expecting to see the resurrection, including... Exactly. He doubled the animals because they're not coming back, right. but he didn't double the kids. But I mean, he did double them, but, but uh, so it, it wasn't twice as many. Yeah, yeah, right. So there'd be 14. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. He, he believed that he would stand in his body and see the Messiah in his flesh. And he knew, he, and he wasn't planning on living. I mean, he, he knew he would die and come back and see that. When people talk about the Old Testament, you know, uh, there's two things people always miss. They say things like, they didn't know about resurrection and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And I've had people come to me and say, the, being born again, you know, is New Testament. I said, no, it's not. Where's the greatest passage in the Bible on being born again? John what? John chapter 3. That's Old Testament. New Testament doesn't start till Jesus dies on the cross. He's the death of the testator. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, almost the whole books are all Old Testament books. Jesus Christ lived his entire life under the Mosaic Law. Old Testament. And so Jesus is giving Nicodemus the story of being born again, born from above, which he should have known because Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel, you don't understand these things? That's why he took him back to Numbers to understand about faith. And so uh, it's amazing to see people say, you know, nobody was born again till the New Testament. I said, no, no. I mean, what is Jeremiah? Jeremiah 31, 31 is talking about a new birth of the people. And so anyway, uh, all right, you ready for the prophets? It's going to get a little, a little bit different here. The prophets is a twofold message. Listen to this. If somebody said to you, what... Uh, what are the prophets about? If you want to always give the right answer, and even if you don't know anything, just say they talk about coming judgment and restoration. If you say that, you got it every time. Almost, almost every book that's a prophet book talks about coming judgment and restoration. So if you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, it just say, oh, you mean Isaiah? It's about judgment and restoration. Oh, Jeremiah, it's about judgment and restoration. You know, and so you, you got it, you know, because that's what they really are about. They all are giving prophecies of judgment. So let, let's talk about uh, their major prophets and minor prophets. The major, first major prophet is called Isaiah. And sometimes people call Isaiah the little Bible. And I'll tell you why. We'll get more information in a second. But look, look at this right here, that Isaiah is the little Bible because... There are 66 chapters of Isaiah. There are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah all deal basically with law and judgment. And most people believe the first 39 books of the Old Testament, they're dealing with law and judgment, all kinds of things. And then the last 27 chapters, which all deal with, and they start at chapter 40, deal with the comfort. You know how Isaiah 40 begins? There's a voice crying in the wilderness. That's Isaiah 40. Well, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of the beginning of the New Testament. How does the New Testament begin? The 400 silent years. At the, uh, out, of, out of the 400 silent years, there's a voice suddenly breaking the silence that says, Make everything smooth. The king is coming. That's John the Baptist. And so most people believe that when you look at it, and, and by the way, people put together the books, 
you know, and the chapters and everything else, and yet it seems to match because in chapter 40, you've got comfort the people, the voice crying in the wilderness, and you go to the start of the New Testament and it's the voice crying in the wilderness. Now, when you think about Isaiah, he's telling the nation of Israel to turn away from sin because judgment's coming. Let me, let me remind you. Uh, I'll do this real fast. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And... Prophets, different, and we're going to show you in just a minute. Prophets wrote, some wrote to the northern kingdom, and some wrote to the southern kingdom, some wrote to other people. But their message was this. They've got sin. They've turned away from God. They're not keeping the, sacrif uh, the sacrifices. They're not keeping the Sabbath. They're worshiping false gods. And same thing, southern kingdom and northern kingdom. And so the prophets are saying, turn back to God. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about individual salvation. We're talking about the deliverance of the nation because the nation is turning away from God and God already told them, if you turn away from me, I will take you out of the land. You remember? If, if when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, the second law, he says when you go into the land, if you obey me, you stay in the land. If you disobey me, I remove you from the land. And so here are these prophets telling them, listen, turn away from sin and come back to God because there's judgment coming. And of course they didn't. And so in 722, they were taken off by the Assyrians. And in 605, the southern kingdom was taken off by the Babylonians. And so what we see is these prophets are given a message. And we're going to talk more about where they fit in just a minute. So that's Isaiah, turned from basically the judgment's coming. Jeremiah, and he does the same thing, and yet he sees it. Jeremiah lives long enough to tell the nation of Israel that judgment is coming, and judgment comes, and he sees it. And he sees thousands of people put to death. And that's when he writes... Lamentations. Jeremiah mourning Jerusalem's destruction and God is... The whole the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are what? New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful to judge. God is faithful to restore. That's what the story is about. So Isaiah is turning from sin. They're coming. Jeremiah, same thing. Turn from sin. They're coming. Lamentations. He sees all the dead bodies. Listen, have you... Who's read Lamentations before? It's all about dead bodies. It's all about people lying dead in the streets and children and keep people killed and the destruction of the city and those kind of things. Okay, after that we got Ezekiel. Now, <clears throat> most people who read Ezekiel, they, uh, uh, they love it and they go, what in the world could this book be about? Because Ezekiel was taken off into captivity and he's standing by a river one day and he looks up and out the heavens open and this thing comes and it looks like somebody's sitting on a throne, and it, and it has wings. It has angels with wings, and they have feet coming down that look like cow, cow feet. And they come down, and these wings, and they just they turn all kind of different ways, and their eyes everywhere, and there's this thing in the bottom part of this looks like legs that are on fire, and then there's this face, and then there's this thing that's got four faces on it, and, and all this, and that's the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord, and he saw it, and God told Ezekiel, you got to warn, you got to warn the people because the judge 
judgment, continued judgment is coming. And so the book of Ezekiel is continually the judgment. Because see, Ezekiel was taken off into captivity, but he was taken off in 605. There's still people taken off in 598, and there's still people taken off in 585. So he's writing to warn these people judgment. Ezekiel is weird. God tells them to lay on his side for 300 and something days. God tells them to take off all his clothes and put a sack over his back and, and dig a hole through a wall and go out naked because that's what's going to happen to the people. They're going to be captured and be taken off without any clothes on. <laughs> God tells them to take your hair in front of a bunch of people, take your hair and take a third of your hair and put it right there. Take a third of your hair and throw it up and let the wind blow it. And take a third of your hair and cut it with a sword. And then look at the people and say, a third of you will die by the sword. A third of you will be scattered to the wind. And a third of you will be safe. He tells him all these weird things. If you've ever read Ezekiel, read it. He's got the weirdest things that he does in there. He, he makes a toy. A to he makes a, 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 a replica of Jerusalem. And he, and he puts siege ramps up against it and toy soldiers and everything. And, and people are watching him and they go, what are you doing? He says, this is what's going to happen to us. So sometimes Ezekiel is amazing. And he also sees the coming temple, the millennial temple. He sees it and describes it. So that is a great, great book. And then, of course, there's Daniel. And we all know about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and the 70 weeks. And let me just throw you this. You, you do know that in Daniel, it's one of the most powerful books. We've studied it at church. We've studied it at different times. And uh, we'll, we'll get a good bit of Daniel when we get almost to the end of the book, when we get into the chapters 24, 25, 26, those chapters, we'll get it. But Daniel saw that there were 490 years for the nation of Israel, and they would start in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, and that would uh, be the year 444 B.C., and it would start... And at the 483-year mark, the Messiah would die. And so the Jewish people had 490 years. They used up 483. They got seven years left. We're the church. Everything stopped when Jesus died. We're the church age. When the church is raptured out, what's next? The tribulation. How long is the tribulation? Seven years, because it's the final seven years. Daniel. Daniel was taught all of that. It's just amazing. And that's why if you want to read Daniel 9, 24 through 27, he actually tells you when the Messiah is going to come and everything. So it's, it's fantastic. But after that, now we have, don't look at that because it, it used to be that we had some yellow sheets. We decided to make everything blue. But it's basically saying that in the back of your lesson, there's all these handouts about the prophets and the books of the Bible and all of that. That's at the end of this chapter. We've got one other thing. Let me show you one thing. That'll help you. And I'm going to go real fast on this. I don't expect you to memorize and know all this. I just want to show you this. That when we talk about the prophets, they wrote. And if you're, are you on the handout that shows? Let me get to it. I, I can't find my sheet. Is, uh, oh, this sheet right here. Are you all on that sheet? Not, not, not these handouts. Just, yeah, you're on this sheet, right? Okay, so this is going to show you to whom each of the prophets wrote, okay? So I want to show you something. So let's start, and with your little thing you've got before captivity, before captivity to the northern kingdom, northern kingdom, two people wrote, Hosea and Amos. That's who wrote to the northern kingdom, and they wrote and told them what? What are they telling them? 
judgment and restoration. Of course, when you read Hosea, uh, you read it, Hosea, it was, uh, the picture was this. God said, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. What? Yeah, marry a prostitute. So he married a prostitute and she ran off. He had to chase her down and bring her back. And the whole picture was Israel's a prostitute, that God is the father of the nation of Israel, and they've gone after other gods, so they're prostitutes, and he's chasing them down and bringing them back. That's what the story is about. And Amos, of course, if you know Amos, Amos, uh, everything was prosperous. They were just rich and doing good, and they were completely ignoring the Bible. And Amos says, if you don't get your act together, what's going to happen? Judgment. And then later on, what? Restoration. Okay, so that's the two people who wrote to the northern. And now, how about to Assyria? Assyria was the, that empire, and God actually used prophets to write to the Assyrians. Anybody know the capital of the Assyrian empire? Nineveh, exactly. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. What was his message? Forty days, the whole city's going to be destroyed. That was his message. His message wasn't turn, from God, turn to God. It was, you ain't got no chance. <laughs> that's how he, I think that's how I think that's how he said it. But anyway, what happened is they all turned to God, and God didn't destroy him, and Jonah got mad. And so Jonah was telling the Jewish, telling uh, the Ninevites that they were going to be destroyed, and God didn't destroy him. A hundred years later, Nahum comes, but this time he's going to destroy him, and he does. And that's what Nahum writes to the Assyrians. Okay, got that. Okay, then we have to Judah. This is the southern. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but these are the, the, the prophets who wrote to the southern kingdom. Joel wrote about the day of the Lord. Isaiah wrote about the coming judgment. Micah, if you remember about Micah, wrote about uh, uh, judgment and restoration. Of course, Jeremiah about what was going to happen. Habakkuk, do you all remember Habakkuk? Habakkuk starts off with Habakkuk is real pious. And he says, oh Lord, I look around at our land and our people are so bad. And so God says, that's right, so I'm going to send the, the Babylonians to wipe them out. And then he goes, how could you send the bad Babylonians to wipe us out? <laughs> that's what it's about. Anyway, and then finally Zephaniah, if you know Zephaniah, is the day of the Lord. Okay, you all filling it out? Okay, all you really need is just the names. You don't have to put all the information. And then uh, there's one more to Edom, and this is Obadiah wrote to these people. You know who the Edomites were? Edomites were basically relatives of the Jews through uh, Esau. And when the Jewish people were getting captured, the Edomites helped the people capture the Jews. And so God says, because you did not help my people, I will destroy you. And that's what he does. That's what Obadiah sent the message. Okay, during the captivity... There are two people who wrote, Daniel, of course, we know what he did, and Ezekiel, we know what he did. They lived during the captivity, okay, and wrote during the captivity. And then finally, of course, after the captivity, we have Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Don't, write, don't say Haggai, it's not Haggai, it's Haggai. And uh, let me ask you something. When they first came back from the captivity, what were they supposed to do? Rebuild the what? The temple. Well, Haggai... And Zechariah both write about the people building the temple. If you remember, one of them says, you guys live in nice houses, and the temple didn't even build. Build the temple, then you can live in a nice house. And then what was the other thing they had to do? To build the wall. Well, Malachi writes about building the wall. So, it, uh, now by the way, on the quiz, 
This page will be on the quiz right there. And all you have to do is fill it in on what we just went over. Okay? Didn't you just fill it out, right? Everybody filled it out? Okay. That's going to be easy. That, that's, a, that's a lot of points there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Um, then there's the silence. And the next voice you hear is John the Baptist. If you would, turn to the back of the lesson. I'm just going to stand here. And if you notice, I'm going to stand this way. You don't have to have the video on me if you don't want to. But if you see, I've got the first five books and information about them. I've got the history books, information about them. I've got the writing, the, the literature books, and, and, and the prophets and everything else. And then my favorite thing is where it says, what happened between the Testaments? Do you all see that? There it is. That took a long time. I had somebody help put that together. That gives more information than you can imagine. That is worth history books right there, that one little thing, because it takes you what happened in between the last writings in the Old Testament and the, and the beginning of the New Testament. It takes you through uh, all the, the Medio Persians, the Greco-Macedonians, Alexander the Great. It takes you through the Roman Empire coming to power. It takes you through all the people. It even brings you up to the time of Christ. It tells you who the Pharisees were, who the Sadducees, who the Rhodians have, the, what the Sanhedrin was. It gives you all sorts of information. It is worth, listen, it is, that's worth, it's worth a lot of money. Just that one part. There's so much information there. So use that sometime. In fact, for fun, just read it. You'll start going, I can't believe all this is here. Because you remember what, I'm going to end because I know time is up. Do you remember what happened in between the Testaments? I mean, this, this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who, who came in and, uh, and, and he subjugated the Jewish people. And he hated them. And, and he put them in all kind of servitude. And... He went to fight in a war, and the rumor was he got killed. So the Jews celebrated. And he found out they celebrated. So he came back in there, and he said, that's it. And he went into the temple, and he put a pig on the altar of the temple, and he took all boy babies that had been circumcised, and he killed them, and he hung them around their mother's necks. And he took the Bibles, and he destroyed the Bibles, and he ransacked the temple. And the Jewish people, with a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus, the Maccabees, they all got together and they began to do guerrilla warfare. And in a miracle, in a three-year time period, they defeated Antiochus the Pippanes and ran him out. And he ended up getting killed in a battle. And they came back to Jerusalem. And the temple had been destroyed for three years. And they went to the temple. And they set it up. And they started to do sacrifices. And they only had enough oil to run the big lampstand for one day. And they lit the lampstand. And it lasted eight days. And they call that the Feast of Lights, which is Hanukkah. And so the story of Hanukkah is how the Jewish people defeated Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And they celebrate it to this day just like they celebrate uh, Purim. And the, the, I mean, so all these things in the Bible, they're not stories that were made up. They're accurate and true. The only time Hanukkah is mentioned in the, in the New Testament, Jesus was walking in the temple in the feast of wintertime. That's what it says. And that's when Hanukkah is in the wintertime. 
you'll hear people say that Hanukkah is the Jewish Christian uh, Jewish Christmas. It is not. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Okay. Uh, so uh, understand the books. Just understand the books of the Old Testament. Understand God's plan, how it ties in. Understand the Old Testament's the foundation. And then there's the verses that you need to know. Uh, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. One wrong way, the Lord laid on him. Nick Saul. And of course, the Lord's Lamentations three twenty two twenty three.